Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We're here for part two episode of the series that's dubbed Ramadan in the nick of time. As you all know from last week, we covered a few points dealing with Ramadan. Uh, we covered what Mubarak, when we say Ramadan Mubarak means, and how that is intertwined within prophetic knowledge that we know that this time is actually Mubarak, that this time is actually a blessed time. We also covered points where we talked about the Ramadan Muslim and how we actually flipped the script on that because of Ustad Ubaid saying that it's actually what the Prophet was on Ramadan Muslim. Mm. And then we ended towards the end talking about the realities of revelation and the coming down of Quranic verses, especially verse 186 of the Quran, where our beloved mother Aish, our beloved mother Khadija, who's the wife of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who passes away early on in his prophethood, that she never really even fulfilled a right that we always fulfill in this tradition, but really because she never needed to, which was an amazing point by our beloved teacher that she never had to fulfill the prayer because it wasn't mandated at that point to show what her status was and what her belief system was. But we use the prayer, inshallah, to refine ourselves. But the other thing that we do in this month, as you all know, because you all might be hungry (laughs) or you all might be thirsty, I know I am, and talking doesn't help that. But we use the fast as a way to refine ourselves. And the way we put it last week was to refine our pre-self, mm-hmm. right? The pre-thought. And Ubaid, it's always an honor. I just wanted to give people a cap of last oh, week. Lord. In case you missed it, it is on the podcast, the Welcome Home podcast, uh, which is Talib's podcast. You're more than welcome to join. And it's also on all the other medias that you can join. But Ubaidullah, always an honor, always a pleasure. No, 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 Excited to have mine, discussion number two. The honor is mine, the honor is mine, mashallah. I insist, actually, that to be in this space um, with the Tetlif family, um, with Muslims generally, but particularly in conversation with a good friend of mine about Ramadan, about our Lord, about this beautiful faith. Uh, what more could you ask for besides a little food? You know what I'm saying? But inshallah, that will. That will come later, inshallah. <laughs> yeah, inshallah, what we get from you is some soul food. Inshallah. Some soul food before the inshallah. real food. And maybe we'll even get some soul food at some point at the space as well. Right? Inshallah. Real soul food, inshallah. inshallah. But uh, with that being said, Abed, uh, we were at verse 185, chapter 2 of the Quran, which is the cow. And we spoke about the, the, the reasons why it came down. And that's kind of where we ended last week. Um, and one of the things that we got out of it was to remind us of those that came before us and how we're tied into this generational, transgenerational, right? Transgeographic, right? Ummah or a kind of like family that has observed this practice. That's right. What do you have to say about that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ba'd. SubhanAllah, you know, um, the verses that 
were revealed about the month of Ramadan are verses that all of us are very familiar with. You know, we've heard them uh, and we hear them repeatedly. You know, I almost can assure you that if you attend Friday prayer at any time during this month, you're going to hear that fasting was prescribed for you like it was prescribed for those before you so that you would learn God consciousness. And this year, instead of just thinking about the fasting and the God consciousness, I also thought about the way that it was prescribed for those before you. And it made me think about the orientation that we should have toward people of the past. I think it's a very um, common tendency of modern people to just assume that they are better than people of the past, right? We can critique their societies. We can uh, deconstruct their ways of life and their mores and their traditions, but then we view our own as some kind of unadulterated, unmixed uh, intellectual blessing, right? This is a, a, a trend that some people call tempocentricity. When you look at the past through the lens of the present, not to gain guidance from the past, but merely to critique the past, merely to deconstruct the past, Whereas I think this verse is suggesting, no, look to the past for guidance. The struggle to be a good human being, the struggle to be a good woman, the struggle to be a good man is a perennial struggle. Nobody has transcended that struggle. It's not like, you know, they had to struggle to be good people in the past. And they had to do things like give charity. They had to do things like fasting. They had to do things like prayer. But we have, you know, surpassed that level. The only thing we have to do is just vote and pay our taxes or something like that. No, no. You still have to engage in very intentional struggle to be a good and upright person. And I think this, you know, practice of fasting is just a time-honored way of attaining that discipline, that God consciousness, that presence, you know, if you will. Right, so that verse ends with the word that many of us have struggled to truly pin down, mm. right? I don't know if you really can. Taqwa. Taqwa, right? Ooh, the word taqwa is a word that's very difficult to translate because words have denotations and they have connotations. Right, so the word taqwa comes from the same root as wiqaya or wakaya. It means like protection, right? Taqwa literally means seeking a kind of protection. In this case, you're seeking protection from God, but not because you fear that God is vengeful and God uh, is um, uh, want to punish us but rather your devotion to God, your love for God dictates not wanting to displease God. You know, um, you know, to God belongs the highest similitude, but the people that I want to disappoint the least are the people I'm actually most assured would forgive me if I did. Now, isn't that something? 
When I think about the people I really don't want to let down, they are all people that if I did let them down, they would say, don't worry about it, you're human, right? Tunkwa emanates from a similar place. We can be sure of God's mercy. We can be sure of God's forgiveness. We can be sure of God's love for us, but in, in kind of um, as an extension of that uh, surety, we don't want to let God down. We don't want to displease God. And Tunkwa comes from that. And when you boil it down, when you make it practical, when you make it pragmatic, when you get you know, rid of all of the linguistic niceties and the flowery stuff, Tunkwa is a kind of consciousness that one is conscious of what they say. One is, one is conscious of what they do. You think about the places that you go. You think about the way you treat people. You think very deeply about your actions and the consequences of your actions. This is what Tunkwa, you know, is, is all about. Um, you know, one scholar described Tunkwa is as, uh, you know what? Forget what a scholar said. Let's get real. You know what Tunkwa is? You know how they have red light cameras in Chicago? I hate the red light cameras. I hate them. If there's one thing that makes me consider leaving Chicago, it's the red light cameras. But you know how you might be driving along, not even thinking about your drive? The minute you enter one of those photo enforced speed zones, what do you do? You jam on the brakes, right? My wife is like, what are you doing? There's a red light camera, <laughs> right? She's driving, be careful, this is a speed trap. That's Tukwa. You see, if we feared Allah as much as we fear the red light cameras, <laughs> we would be okay, right? But that's that there's an awareness that this is being recorded and that it could result in some kind of fine. So you what? You slow yourself down and you make sure you're abiding by the speed limit. That's Tanqua. That's a great metaphor. I mean, I'm going to challenge that a bit, though. Bismillah. Okay. There's different levels, right? Mm -hmm. Children, sometimes they respond to, and I have two boys, so this is why I'm talking about that, right? Mm -hmm. And mashallah, you have, you have three kids. Mashallah. And we've known each other before we, were, we had, had any, any kids. children. Mashallah. Well, Allah protect them. Allah protect Amin, everybody Amin, in, this, Allah. in this place and their families, inshallah. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, like one of my kids, the elder one, he responds very good to tahdeed. Mm. He responds very good to like, hey, listen, if you do this, this is what mom and baba are going to do. Right, right. Child number two, mm -hmm. very different story. Encouragement, tarheeb. Yeah, if I tell child number two, if you did this, mom and baba are going to, he looks at me and says, so what? Right? He looks at me like, so what? I'm like, man, this, this one, this one came from my lineage for sure, right? <laughs> my wife looks at me like I'm crazy. But what I'm trying to get at, as you already understand, is I think with human souls, there's different understandings of how they're going to relate to a scenario or a situation. Mm -hmm. Red light camera might be one of them, mm -hmm. right? Another one was kind of what our mother Aisha was alluding to. Mm -hmm. 
when there's a very well-known traditional hadith where she narrates that the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, comes and lays next to her in bed mm -hmm. where his skin is touching her skin. Mm -hmm. What she's trying to invoke here is a certain type of shu'ur, right? Yeah, certain right. type of feeling mm -hmm. when you tell stories, but she's trying to invoke like, if you, you know, this is a big deal that right. his sacred skin is touching my skin. I love this, Allah right? Allah. And who wouldn't love this here in this room that the Prophet gives you his hand, right? Allah. But the point is that she's, she's showing us a point of description between her and the Prophet that's intimate. Mm -hmm. And then the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, gently tells her, may I please go, in the lack of better words, worship my Lord. Mm -hmm. So then she looks at the Prophet وسلم, and says, even though I love you next to me, mm -hmm. even though I love that you're next to me, Ya Rasulullah, and even though that I like it, if it makes you happy, then it makes me happy, O Prophet of God. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if it makes you happy to get up right now and to be with your beloved and pray with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's genuinely what you want, then my heart is content with that and that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And so then the Prophet sallallahu as we know in the narration, gets up and starts to pray. And he prays in such a way that he starts to cry. Mm -hmm. And he cries in such a way that his chest is filled with tears. Mm -hmm. In one narration, his beard is filled with tears. Mm -hmm. Then Sayyidina Bilal recites the Adhan. Mm -hmm. Our beloved mother Aisha then says, Ya Rasulullah, why? Why? We all know this story. But why are you crying all night when you know Allah has forgiven you for anything you've ever going to do and anything you've done in the past and you have a high station with him? Mm -hmm. And he goes, should I not be a grateful servant? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in our ability to do Ramadan, in our moments to do Ramadan, in our moments of taqwa in Ramadan, there's an underlining love and gratitude that has to be there to actually get its heightened, realistic, hopefully, potential. No, I mean, that, that's what I was attempting to allude to, that even though taqwa linguistically comes from wakaya or like protection, and most people gloss taqwa as protecting oneself from God's displeasure, it is not a protection born out of um, uh, a fear that God would not forgive me. Mm. It is not a protection born out of a uh, trepidation, like one fears somebody harming them. Mm. Rather, it is a protection born out of a deep love and a deep gratitude, mm. right? Meaning you have been so good to me you are overflowing in your kindness to me. You are overflowing in your mercy to me. You are overflowing in your goodness to me. I don't want to displease you. Not because if I displease you, I fear that you're going to punish me or destroy me. If I displease you, and inevitably, we all will displease God. Inevitably. But Tanqwa is born out of that, um, that love, 
right? It's, and that's why I mentioned at the onset, it's a very difficult term to translate, right? Because words have denotations and they have connotations. If you say in English to fear something or to seek protection from something, it would sound as though the thing that you fear or the thing you're seeking protection from is not an object of your love. It's not an object of your, it's not something uh, uh, with which you desire closeness. It's just something you're afraid of. Tanqwa isn't, it's, it's very difficult to translate. But this hadith of the Prophet that you mentioned, the Prophet peace be upon him was expressing a very high station right. of worshiping God. That his worship of, of God is not from fear of punishment. Right? It's not from fear of punishment, nor is it from uh, desire of paradise. <laughs> it is just to express his gratitude to God. I'm grateful to God. And this is the way gratitude is expressed. You know, I was giving a lecture once at uh, Binghamton University uh, in New York. And I'm up there, I'm saying something. And, you know, sometimes you're giving a lecture, you're just saying something. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm up here, I've been hired, just keep talking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm saying something, right? And um, somebody from the audience said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, what's the hardest part about being a Muslim? And I was like, hmm. And honestly, bro, I was thinking, say something profound. Say something profound. I, I didn't even, I, feel, I, I forget what I even said. But then I asked, I said, are you a Muslim? He said, no. I said, are you, do you belong to a different faith community? He said, no, I'm an atheist. I said, what's the hardest part about being an atheist? And he said, you know, nobody has ever asked me that. I said, well, I'm asking you now. He said, I am the recipient of so much good. I have received so much inexplicable good in my life. And to explain it as luck, is not satisfactory. But I don't believe in providence, meaning I don't believe that God is bestowing good upon me from on high. And I just find myself stuck. And it's very frustrating to live with this guilt that I should be giving thanks. I should be offering gratitude of course, I was thinking, you know, you could become Muslim and give a lot of things, <laughs> you know. But I felt like, you know, there's no happy end to this. It's not like he was like, I should do it now. Like, oh, no, no. That didn't happen. But the fact that he, as a person of truth and honesty, could acknowledge that struggle publicly, I mean, my respect for him soared. Like he was, he actually said, it's frustrating because it would be like somebody paying your mortgage or your rent every month, but never revealing their identity. You show up to pay your mortgage and they're like, it's already been paid. And you're like, who's doing this? The person wants to remain anonymous. Like that might drive a person really, you know, the other day 
Somebody sent my wife two spools of yarn. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. She posted on Facebook, who sent me this yarn? Nobody has said anything. She's like, was it somebody in your family? I'm like, was it somebody, one of your friends? She's like, I don't know who did this. Now, my wife is the kind of person, if anybody gives her anything, thank you note is probably done the same day, mm. right? If it's, you know, something that she can offer recompense, she's going to offer something in exchange because she's a decent person. This is what decent people do. They want to show gratitude for what they've been given. And he was saying, I'm a decent person. And I've been given a lot of good in my life, but I don't believe in God. What can I do? That was the first time that I gave thanks to Allah for being able, able to, to give, give thanks. thanks. Like subhanAllah, how frustrated would I be to be in his predicament? Man, somebody is really blessing me, but I don't believe in God. So by extension, I don't believe in blessing. To live with that opprobrium, to live with like the weight of that kind of gnawing dissatisfaction would be very difficult. The Prophet ﷺ was showing us the opposite of that man's condition. Like, no, no, he is in a constant state of gratitude for everything, for everything, for everything. Like the word shukr in Arabic, the antonym of shukr is kufr, mm. right? The word kufr, which we gloss as disbelief, actually has an original etymological meaning of ingratitude, right? Kafra Sheikh is a, is, a, is, a, is a town in Egypt, right? Kafra Sheikh, right? Now, a lot of people say, why did the Sheikh? Kafra Sheikh is the old man that was, he's a farmer, right? Kafra means to put a seed in the ground and then kafra, to cover it with dirt. Right, kafra. They say that kufr is a kind of like you're covering your gratitude for something. Because gratitude is a natural human disposition. It's natural. It's natural. Whenever you receive something and you are not, uh, you don't have any misconception about the fact that you had nothing to do with it. There's a feeling of gratitude that is inescapable unless you're a psychopathic person, hmm. right? Or a sociopathic person, right? This is the kind of person that, uh, you know, a feeling of gratitude doesn't result from people doing good for them. In fact, when people do, when people do good for them, they think I can manipulate this, I can use this. But most regular people, if somebody does something nice for you, you feel uh, a, a, a sense of indebtedness to them, of gratitude to them. Um, yeah, and whoever doesn't thank the people doesn't thank their Lord. And who more worthy of that feeling of indebtedness than God? You know, the word deen in the Arabic language is very closely related to deen. The word Dane in Arabic means debt, right? Your debt, 
when you pray your prayers and you fast in the month of Ramadan and you make the hajj and you pay the zakah and you bear witness to God's oneness and the messengerhood of Muhammad this is you acquitting yourself for the fact that you have been given life. That is actually the deepest meaning of faradain, individual obligation, right? This is just like all morality, it starts there, right? This is what I must offer God just as like my debt of gratitude for the fact that I've been given life, the fact that I've been made a woman, the fact that I've been made a man. This is what I have to offer. And then everything offered above that is offered out of what? Love. Hmm. You see, love. And then Allah what? Requites that love with love from himself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, one of my teachers, he told me, he said, one of the greatest confusions of our time is, 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 is confusing the beginnings, or I guess you can call them the foundations of Islam for the ceilings of Islam, hmm. right? Those religious obligations, those are just the foundation that open us to a relationship of love and friendship with God. But this is just the foundation. This is just kind of where you enter that relationship. And then above those foundations, a magnificent structure can be built. Yeah. You know, what's really funny. Somebody sent me huge pile of socks and till this day it bugs me till this day, it's probably the same person that sends your wife the yarn right yeah, yeah. but Who, who's doing this I'm, I'm serious and then they sent me a huge packet of smart water and what's funny when i travel i buy one smart water so it has to be somebody that i know but they're playing a game on me because i don't know so i don't know who it is so no i don't know who it is the socks and the smart water so but i always want like i always it's funny because it's always a discussion between me and my wife. Like, who is doing who this? Who is doing this? Who's doing this? Who's so, doing this? Mashallah. But when you're talking about gratefulness, and I'm gonna, you talking about being real today. Let's just be real, real. I know we got, we got some time, our babe. We got some time. Sure. But it's hard to be grateful when you're not content with your situation. Mm. It's hard. I mean. It's hard to be grateful if you're not satisfied with the trajectory of life you're in. Or you're looking in the past and you're regretting almost every, every step that you took. How do we, without fluff, without quote unquote spiritual bypassing, how, how can we get to a station of gratefulness when we feel everything that we're, we're encountering is a position that's really not where we want to be in life? You know, one of our mashaykh, he said that, Emotionally, the two biggest uh, adversaries of spiritual growth are grief and anxiety. Hmm. Grief is this unresolved feeling about something that has taken place in the past. Hmm. And anxiety is a fear about something yet to take place in the future. And the key to dealing with both grief and anxiety is recognizing that God is in control. And although it sounds uh, very simple, it's very easy to say that, we're talking about something that must be realized on the level of haqqul yaqeen, 
Like you have to become certain of it. That even things in your past that were traumatic, even things in your past that caused you great pain, you have to recognize they were decreed by God. That's and hard. if it's very difficult to do, and if you can accept that, and if you believe that God is a source of goodness in your life, you will come to recognize those things as things that will ultimately result in good. Even if you don't understand how they will result in good now, it's very difficult to do that. Sometimes you have to do it on a personal level. Sometimes you have to do it on a generational level, right? You know how many times I've asked myself, man, how do I understand the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? As it relates to the transatlantic slave trade. That all of the degradation, all of the dehumanization, all of the struggle, all of the oppression, it was the qadr of Allah. This is what God wanted. This is what God wanted. Really. And to accept that at not just a rhetorical level, but at a deeply personal level. When I'm reading about, you know, the past of my people and accepting everything that we've been through, this is what God wanted. It's difficult. And then sometimes accepting that at a personal level. You know, um, I've told this story a few times in this session, but this was something I used to struggle with uh, a great deal more than I think I struggle with it now. But, um, you know, my cousin was gunned down um, in uh, Roseland. And um, my wife and I, we attended his funeral. And I was sitting in the, the back of the church, watching his mother, you know, make her way to the podium. And she was, you know, I mean, tears were streaming down her face. And she said, dear God, I won't claim to understand why you've done this, because I don't understand why you've done this. But I do know that if I understood everything you decreed, you wouldn't be worthy of my worship, right? The God that I worship is an awesome God. You know, man, even more personal. When uh, my late wife, Allah, when she passed away, um, somehow, while I was at the morgue, this was in Egypt? This was in Egypt. And I was interring her at Masrah Zainhum. I was interring her. This was not too long after Alam program? Not too long after Alam. Maybe five years after Alam. Somehow Dr. Jackson was able to get through to me. And I picked up the phone as I was at the morgue interring her remains. And uh, it was him. And he said something to me I don't think I will ever forget. And... I don't think it would be advisable to tell anybody grieving this unless you really know them well, right? This is my teacher. He knows me very well. This isn't something I would say, yeah, say this to anybody and expect it to go well. But he said, we worship a God that is omnipotent. Mm -hmm. 
The thing about omnipotence is God does not have to use his power in ways that are easy for you. He can use his power in any way he wants to. And I broke down. I broke down. And he waited for me to gather myself. And then he started to console me. Then he started to, from Michigan, and I was in Egypt, put his arms around me. But the first thing he established, Wallahu ala kulli shayin qadir. God did this. The God that you believe in, the God that you love, the God that you pray to, the God that you show devotion to, he decreed this. So what are you going to do now? And um, just like a coach knows a player, like you know your two sons, that was just what I needed. That was just what I needed. After I wept, I stood up and I recognized in a way that was cold. This is what God wanted. This is what God wanted. And I still grieved. I'm still grieving. So far, of course. I'm still grieving. But the recognition that it wasn't a glitch in the matrix. It wasn't that something in the program was short-circuited. It wasn't that I did something, she did something. Allah wanted this. And it was great consolation for me. And then the other thing our Sheikh mentioned was anxiety. You know, uh, every time I think about anxiety, I feel like post-COVID, everybody's a little jittery. Yeah, of course. What's going to happen next? Every time I think about anxiety, and I'm not making light of this, I always think about A Few Good Men. The, the movie. movie A Few Good Men. Because <laughs> uh, there's a few good men over here. At the oh, of course, show. mashallah. Some of them single and unmarried, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But um, um, when... Uh, 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 Jack Nicholson, his character, is being cross-examined. And Tom Cruise's character says, did you think you were in clear and present danger? And he says, is there any other kind? Right. <laughs> he was saying like, look, I don't do anxiety. If the danger is not clear and present, sure. I don't do anxiety. Right? Look, if there is, there is no other kind of, if it's danger, it's something that has materialized already. Right? So fear in that instance is different than anxiety. Anxiety is deep concern about something that has yet to materialize. Not like what's clear and present, but what's going, what's on the morrow? What might happen tomorrow? What might happen next month? What might happen next year? And our sheikh was saying, when are we going to be content with the fact that the future is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, the man came to him and he asked a very good question. He said, should I trust in God or should I, you know, tie my camel? Right? Kind of like, should I leave the front door open and just says, look, Allah... Allah got me. Or should I bolt the lock? And the Prophet والسلام, said, bolt the lock. Right? Tie your camel. And rely on God. 
they're not, they're not mutual opposites. But, and this is my commentary, this is my offering to this tradition of the Prophet You know what I've realized, man? If you don't trust in God, it really makes no difference what mechanism you're using to tie your camel. You'll still be uncomfortable if you don't trust in God. That's why tie your camel, whether you use lace or string or rope or titanium, if you don't ultimately trust in God, you're still going to be anxious about what happens after you leave your camel. So the most important part of the hadith, tawakkal ala Allah, this doesn't mean be a fatalist. This doesn't absolve you of engaging the asbab, engaging the means. But we are only given ease. We are only given satisfaction and security through believing that the future is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is a great segue to kind of next week because the verses after the verse of 185 in Baqarah is 186 where then Allah talks about if they ask you about me, indeed, I'm then, close. then I am near. Allahu Akbar. Or indeed I am near. Right? Mm -hmm. And so for us to have that tawakkul, we have to know that Allah is. It's close. You know, this, this to me, uh, this verse is a kind of intervention um, in a very deep theological question. Some people are arguing about whether or not God exists, hmm. which, you know, I mean, it, it, that, that's a significant, but much more important than that, does God care? Is God listening? What is the utility of my belief in God? Will God help me? You see, because in belief in God, what I want is to know that there is someone looking after me. There is someone protecting me. There is someone watching over me. And what's interesting is that you said earlier when, about when, you're, when Dr. Jackson was talking to you and then you said something very key. You said, this is not my fault and it's not her fault. I feel like guilt, guilt has a way to enter into that. And thinking like, you know what? I'm a horrible person. Why would God care for me at this moment? Mm -hmm. I'm a horrible Muslim. Why would God answer my dua at this point? You know? I, think, I think accountability and acceptance are very difficult to balance. One can look at their own actions and see hmm, some of what I've done has resulted in what I'm doing now. But all of it is from God. All of it. And, you know, I mean, you know, we used to study actually in the Tetlif space with my brother, Micah Anderson, right, about presence. And what presence entailed was not lingering in the past and not reaching into the future, but just being present. So even if I accept accountability for what I've done, what can I do with that now? That's right. You know, my father you know, uh, was very devoted to 12-step. And something he would say that would always inspire me with hope. He would say, today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Today is the first day of the rest of our lives. 
what else can we do? Meaning, even if all of that's true, even if I did this and I did that and it resulted in this catastrophic, you know, I'm here now. All I can do is go forward being the best I can now. Right. Just like our beloved Imam Zaid, whenever I go to him with a problem, what does he say? Ali, just keep it moving. Got to keep, keep moving. Got to keep it moving. Gotta, so if you mean accountability, yes, that's a part of our tradition, right? Accepting that, you know, a, a lot of the difficulty I experience results from my own shortcomings, my own weaknesses, my own sins. That's a part of our tradition. But not guilt over like that something in the past could be changed. Right? They say the past is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. present. That's right. I think I learned that in kindergarten. <laughs> right? And it and was probably one of the most useful things I learned in my entire K through 12 education. Right? Be present now. Tomorrow, that, that's history, man. What are we gonna do about that? Yeah, it's Allah, over. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be inshallah present in our prayers, present in our time, present in our moments, present in our fasting, and specifically present when we read those verses when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that uh, if they ask you about me, then I am near. So if we have that moment where we realize Allah is really near, Allah right Allah. next to us, closer Allah. than you and I right now, closer than everybody Closer than your jugular vein, jugular vein, your aorta. That's right. You know, so you know, it's 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 that I uh, often we 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 talk about like searching for God. This ayah always reminds me: Where are you looking? Mm. Where are you looking? Right? You know, uh, say Narumi, he said, people talk about finding God. When was God ever not present so that he needed to be found? What, what are you, it's, 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 it's almost, a, 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 it's an oxymoronic statement. We're trying to find God. No. You know, sometimes you have people that go in the masjids and they start these Aqidah wars and some of them will ask, Ain Allah. Where is Allah? You know the correct response? Mawjood. Present. That's it. Where is Allah? Mawjood. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wal-Asr. Inna l-insana lafi khusr. Illa ladina amanu wa amilu s-salihati wa tawasibu al-haqi wa tawasibu al-sabr. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.